Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast and to the theology segment. On today's episode, one of our listeners writes in and they have a great question. And the question is this, is judging a sin? Now, one of the most significant challenges uh, of the Christian life is to see ourselves as we are and then to assess how we're to grow in the grace of God. And rather than taking stock of ourselves honestly, and where we really are, we would rather point the finger at those around us. Perhaps we believe so that uh, that other person is is uh, better than us or something of the like. And yet, in doing so, we're in danger of making ourselves like those that Jesus speaks about in Luke six forty one and 42. You know, the guy or the gal that, that attempts to take the speck out of his neighbor's eye instead of running a log splitter and dealing with the overgrown forest of trees in our own sinful lives. Now, in Luke uh, 6, 37 through 38, Jesus warned his disciples that they would be judged by the same standard that they judge others. In verses 39 and 40, he warned about the pitfalls of spiritual blindness. The danger in verses 41 and 42 is different. It involves both bad judgment and bad eyesight. Here the problem is not someone who who cannot see at all, but rather he cannot see as well as he thinks because of an attitude of pride that blinds them. And as we continue to look at Luke 6, 41 and 42, we discover that pride leads people to having the perception of reality, enabling us to pick a speck out of somebody else's eye. And still, in reality, we cannot even see the big piece of wood that's protruding from our eye socket. This this is an absurd point of view. And yet Jesus utilized a, a, a comic exaggeration here to make a very serious point. The word for speck is a little splinter or of wood or straw. And the word for log, it refers to the main beam of a building. We're talking about a board large enough to support an entire house. The whole picture is so ridiculous, it, it would be laughable if it were not such a common everyday experience. The, the very person who criticizes other people is often guilty of the most obvious sins of all. Uh, They have some glaring wrong habit or attitude in their lives, which everyone can see, but the person doing it can't. And yet, uh, they are the one constantly pointing out other people's minor faults and failings. The word for this, my friends, is hypocrisy. A large part of our problem with logs and splinters is with our sense (coughs) of proportion. We are more concerned about someone else's minor issues than we are with our major iniquities. And there's also a problem with our priorities. We have the nerve to straighten out somebody else's issues before we deal with ourselves before the foot of the cross, crying out to God for forgiveness for our sins, confessing it to him. Like a lot of other things in life, we get things completely backwards. But you see, here is where the holiness and righteousness of God come into play. 
and they both demand that the Lord execute perfect justice on the final day. And at the end of human history, God will judge the world, and his eternal purposes for redemptive history will at last be fulfilled. Now, looming on the horizon of eternity, there is coming a terrifying final day of judgment. This world is spinning on its axis on a collision course with the final day of reckoning. And this day is known as the Great White Throne Judgment, this climatic hour of reckoning before God. It's described in numerous places throughout Scripture. The book of Romans identifies it as the day of wrath in Romans uh, 2.5. Jude calls it the, the judgment of the great day in Jude 6. The Apostle Paul says that God has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness in Acts 17.31. This day is fast approaching. It's a final judgment day in which God will hold court and all the world will stand trial before him. In this final judgment, God will open the books and present his case. Every lost sinner will be judged and God will announce his just verdict and condemn every unbeliever to hell. (coughs) This final courtroom scene is described with dramatic detail in Revelation 20, 11-15. This is the highest court in heaven or on earth. It is the supreme court of the universe. There's no higher court of appeal. Every lost sinner will be individually summoned to take their stand before the divine judgment bar where every unbeliever will have their day in court before the Lord Jesus Christ. The evidence is going to be presented. There's going to be no rebuttal offered by sinners, no defense rendered, no sympathy extended here. There's going to be no grace. There's going to be no advocate to defend the sinner, no miscarriage of justice. There will be no successful appeal by the guilty and no parole from the prison as an escape. There will be only perfect judgment. Now, there's two points of application that we must put into action at this point, and both are critically important if we're going to live in proper response to the truth I just said. First, we must be humbled by this truth. There, but for the grace of God, we would suffer the same torment. There, but for the grace of God, we would be judged and condemned. There, but for the grace of God, we would be damned forever. And the only difference between us and those who would be condemned at the at the great white throne judgment is the unconditional love and unmerited favor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ deserves to be condemned at this great white throne judgment. We likewise should be cast down to the lake of fire. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God has taken our many sins and placed them on his back at the cross. Jesus has removed our iniquities from us as far as the east is to the west. Christ has washed away all of our sins, imputed his perfect righteousness to us, and covered us with his blood so that our sins will never be brought into account before God. And so let us, therefore, walk in lowly humility before our God. And in light of this final day, there's no room for boasting by anyone. What lowliness of mind should grip the one who entrusts himself to Jesus Christ? We have no merit of our own, but the merit of him who lived in perfect obedience to the law and who died for those who have broken this law. How humbly we should walk before the Lord. And what thanksgiving we should offer to the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and nothing will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And how this should cause us to treasure our eternal salvation 
in the Lord Jesus. Consider the great sin that has been forgiven you. Consider the great sacrifice that has been offered to take away your sin. Every one of us should walk lowly before our God in great humility. Secondly, we must bear witness to this truth. The retribution of truth in the final judgment should stir us to evangelism. There are people all around us who have yet to come to Christ, who are outside of the kingdom of God and thus under his wrath. And the experience of God's redeeming love is restricted exclusively to those who are inside, those who are in the Lord Jesus. Those those who are outside of Christ are in the most fearful place of all. It is incumbent upon each and every single born-again Christian to go into the world and implore the unconverted to come to salvation that Christ has already prepared. You see, what a responsibility we have to our to our families, to our friends, to our classmates, to our colleagues with a sense of urgency to share the love of God in the cross and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. How should they escape if they neglect so great a salvation? How compulsory it is for us to go into all the world and preach repentance and faith before the Lord Jesus Christ. How how we must be used by God to reach others so that they may embrace the reality of the truth of the word of the cross rather than one day having to face the final judgment. We're often, people are often told today, don't judge as a Christian. And, and the reason that they use is Matthew 7, 1, which says not to judge. Now, but we need to ask ourselves a question here. Was Jesus in Matthew 7, 1, was he forbidding Christians from judging what is taught in his name? No, what Jesus condemned there in Matthew 7, 1 was the hypocritical judgment of those who held others to a higher standard than they were willing to live by. And elsewhere in Scripture, we are forbidden to judge others' motives or attitudes. After all, Hebrews 4.12 says, We cannot discern the thoughts or motives of one's heart. Only God can judge the heart because only God can see it, 1 Samuel 16.7 tells us. He alone knows the secrets of the heart, Psalm 44.21. He alone can weigh the motives therein, Psalm 16, verse 2. In fact, according to Romans 2.16, he will alone judge the secrets of men's hearts through Christ Jesus. And so the scripture makes it clear that hypocritical judging and judging others' thoughts and motives is not what we are to do as Christians. And yet it needs to also be said that throughout scripture, the people of God are urged to judge between truth and error, right and wrong, good and, and the devil. Jesus in John 7, 24 said, judge with right judgment. Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians 10, 15, saying, I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. God requires Christians to be discriminating when it comes to matters of sound doctrine. In fact, Christians are to judge one another with regard to acts of sin. 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13 tells us. In fact, this uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 12-13 passage, it speaks of the same process of discipline outlined by none other than Jesus Christ himself in that great text on church discipline in Matthew 18, 15-20. And most importantly, every Christian, every Christian should examine themselves to see if they have judged rightly according to 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one, which says, if we judged our ourselves truly we ourselves would not be judged and this calls for the believer to search their hearts 
Paul calls for this kind of self-examination every time that we partake of the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. The discernment Christians are called to engage in is called doctrinal discernment. We are to, as 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, we are to test all things and to hold fast to what is good. This is why the Bereans in Acts 17 are commended because they searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. So there is a place for confronting other people's sin and offering constructive spiritual criticism, especially within the body of Christ. Jesus does not say that we can never help anyone with a spiritual problem. He assumes that there are going to be times when we're called to remove someone's speck. But we should be slow to straighten other people out, knowing our own issues with sinful behavior. Our first action must be to take away the master's lumberyard, the sins in our own lives, in our own backyard, before removing any splinters from anybody else. And does this mean that we have to be a perfect or that, that I'm advocating for some form of sinless perfectionism before giving any anybody any real spiritual help? Does, does this mean we have to confess our sins before we can ever hope to lead anyone to a place of repentance. It's, it is only when our sin has broken our hearts against God that we will have humble grace to lead other sinners back to the same place of repentance. And one way to see ourselves as we are is to ask people who know us well to tell us what heavy timber they, they see protruding from the eyeballs of our souls. The most important thing for Christians is to follow Jesus from the scriptures, to live by his generous grace provided through his person and through his work. Jesus sees his people as they are down to the last speck. Because he is without sin, he can judge us with perfect righteousness, with perfect clarity. But he does not condemn us, provided that we come to him in faith, trusting in the sacrifice he paid for our sins on the cross. With the help of his clear sight, we see both our sin and we see his forgiveness. And only then can we begin to see other people the way Jesus sees them, through the eyes of his grace. Well, I want to thank you for listening or even watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.